Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life, where entrepreneurs and experts share one book and the life-changing principles they applied. If you love that flash, that spark of inspiration when a great idea just leaps off the page at you, but you don't have time for all the amazing books you run across, then this podcast is designed for you. In each episode, you'll discover business books, past and present, that are changing the lives of people just like you and come away with insights you can put into action right now. So let's jump into the latest book. Welcome back, everyone. This is one book that changed my life. My special guest today is Liz Wendling. She's a multi-time author. She's a speaker. She is a coach uh, to attorneys and other people that are looking to sell with more authenticity and heart. Um, she's written books like Selling Without Selling Your Soul, The Heart of Authentic Selling. So um, just really very much aligned with the, the sorts of people that we, we feature here on the podcast. And uh, I wanted to talk to Liz because we came across her through just kind of mutual circles. We're like friends of friends of podcasts that we've been on. And you've been on some podcasts that, that are hosted by people that I know uh, just over the last couple of years. And so we kind of stumbled across you in our process of building relationships. And um, just, I love, the, I love the approach of helping people that don't naturally want to sell, to sell better. And, and you've been really helping people do that for, for quite a while. And I think there's a lot of people that, that are in the kind of the coach, consultant, speaking, author world that feel that same way. It's like, I, I want to work with people that want to work with me. I don't want to feel like I'm getting somebody to do something that they, they wouldn't normally do. I'm not, I'm not comfortable pushing people out outside their comfort zone to work with me because I know what type of commitment it takes for them to get results when I tell them to do something. So I think there's a lot of that same resistance that you first experienced in the world of attorneys in the same world of, of experts. So with that sure. being said, when, when you run into somebody today and they're someone that's ideal for your world or they're like, a, they're like an ideal client, what do you tell them that you do? Well, I tell them that I teach people who love what they do, but hate to sell, how to sell in a way that is more aligned with who they are, that is comfortable for them and something that they, they can execute on a daily basis. So many people think that selling is sleazy and gross and icky, and I don't want to do that to someone. Well, if you don't sell yourself and your products and services, somebody is going to go to your competition who has no problem doing that. So when you can figure out a way how to sell that aligns with who you are and what you are bringing out into the world, then you're not really selling. All you're really doing is having a structured conversation with someone who's interested and eventually becomes invested. So when I'm working with attorneys or even business owners, entrepreneurs, anyone who has to sell themselves, but has some sort of fear or resistance around it. So I tell them, if you don't like to sell, it's because you're doing it wrong. That's it. So we, <laughs> so all it is, if you don't like it, you're doing it wrong. I love it. All right. So, uh, so take me back a little bit. Let's set the scene. So the, the book that you want to cover is The Power of Intention, Wayne Dyer, which a lot of people in the audience might be familiar with, either because they've already read it or because they've heard of it like I have and just haven't dived into it. Uh, one of the things that will, that, that's like the mission of the show is not only to uncover these hidden gems that you may not have heard of, but also to take books that people might already be familiar with and, and cast them in a different light and point out some things that you may have forgot were, were in there. So let's go back to when you first uh, stumbled across the book. How did it come into your life and what were you doing at the time? Uh, it was about 22 years ago. And I happened to have the TV on in one room and I was getting ready in another room and a PBS special was on with Wayne Dyer talking mm -hmm. about the power of intention. And it was a word I hadn't 
grown up with, hadn't really heard, didn't really understand. I, I, I know what the word intention means, but I didn't understand the big force that could be behind intention. And I remember from the other room hearing Wayne Dyer say, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So it was a nice little quote. And I stopped myself and went, wow, that that's interesting. And I said it to myself in my head again. It wasn't until I baked it into my brain that I realized, wow, when you can really stop yourself, change the view you're looking at, things can actually start to change. And that was the first time that I had heard that word intention. The whole, his whole special was on that. So I got the book, read the book, and have to admit, I didn't quite get it the first time around. It was it was, it was, there were words on the paper, but they didn't really resonate with my heart yet and read it again. And then somebody gave me the audio of that on CDs and I would listen to them in my car. But what, to, so it was a time when I was hungry for that information because I felt like I was floundering a little bit. I was working in corporate, didn't like it, but didn't know that the world had all these options for me, such as create your own business. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't have the strength and conviction to do that. There was fear involved in that. And it wasn't until I started really reading the book, listening to it and applying what I was hearing and listening to was when I really started to see, oh, I do have options. So he talks about intention as a force that is available to everyone in the universe that allows us to participate in the active, active creation, that right. we can actively get involved with the way we want to create something for ourselves. And he talks about energy as in four parts. There's four parts to the steps of intention. And they were discipline, wisdom, love, and surrender. I knew discipline because that's all I, I grew up very disciplined. So that was easy for me. But the wisdom part, the part where you have to truly go inside your body and listen to your body and get a sense of what's right, what what's wrong, or what feels right or doesn't feel right. And then that love piece, that whole love piece that again is so misunderstood, all the way to surrender. Surrender, I can't do that. I'm too busy controlling everything. Yeah, of course. So it was those parts that made me start to pull apart the life I was leading and living and, and step into, into more of an intentional way of living and loving and, and leading my life. Interesting. All right, I love it. Uh, yeah, because you and I both grew up very disciplined, um, good, you know, uh, good disciplined parents and, yep. and all that stuff, just a good, like that, that was like kind of instilled. Um, so what, do you remember what some of the first changes when you started to think, okay, well, discipline isn't going to get me to where I, to where I want to go, just white knuckling it and just trying harder and, and those sorts of things aren't going to get me where I want to go. Um, you start going deeper in yourself, you, you get in touch with, uh, the wisdom, and the love and surrender part. Do you remember what some of the first changes that you made to apply that? Well, the wisdom for sure was, wow, I have this built-in GPS system in my body called my own intuition. Mm -hmm. And I remember for years not trusting it, not believing it, not even wondering what, what, like understanding what is that? What is that little small voice that would say to me, don't do that or don't go there or that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. And listen to it, but then go deeper into that. Why doesn't it feel right? Why are you not believing what that person is saying? Or how come this um, situation doesn't feel right to you? And going in and honoring that, honoring the fact that I did have this inside wisdom inside myself that I had to start learning how to love and to trust and surrender to. And 22 years later, it is my best friend. And it's the greatest source of me 
right now for me building my business and my relationships, because really? I know that there is that part of me that definitely knows. And sometimes I pretend I don't know, but it knows. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm curious when you have that, I think what a lot of people struggle with sales and I, cause I've struggled with this and I had to get some, uh, what would you call it? A good, a good kick in the ass from my, uh-huh. my own mentor about this. Cause I remember approaching him one time and just said, like, I, I feel like I need to improve my sales skills. He said, all right, tell me a little bit more about that. Why do you feel like that? And I said, well, when I get into some of these consultations, I feel like I should be doing more to get them to want to sign up and, and, and make that decision to move forward. He said, all right, well, the people that you're talking about, are they ideal clients? And I'm like, no. <laughs> He's like, then why do you care? So it's like, there is, so what, what was happening when you like bring in the intuition piece, what was happening is that I had an intuition. This person is not the right person for me. But because you feel like to be a good salesperson, well, they should still want to sign. Like I should still make them want to sign up with me, even though intuitively I know I shouldn't be trying. But but I was like sabotaging it and going, I don't want to work with this person. My intuition was kicking in going, this is not going to be a good fit. And he just basically set free, set me free from all that. He's like, why would you care about building your sales skills to close people that you don't want anyway? Oh my gosh. Surrender for sure right there. That, yes. what amazing, amazing advice you got. And that's that piece that you try to, you, you teach, try to teach people about intention and intuition and either they get it or they don't, or they're open to it or they're not. And some just have to hear one sentence that goes, oh yeah, that makes sense. And before yeah. you know it, you're wide open to hearing yeah. more of that. Exactly. All right. So I know a lot of people use the word intention in a couple of different contexts. They'll set maybe an intention for the year. Uh, maybe they wake up and they they try to set an intention for the day. Is there any just daily practices or rituals or anything where you're trying to incorporate the intention into your into your life and your business? Oh my gosh. Uh, yes. And it's it's something that I fought and kicked and screamed in the beginning, but now it is such a part of my life. The moment I wake up, the moment my eyes open, before I do anything, think about what day it is, I immediately go, I have an intention to find three things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. The trick with that is I can't duplicate my intentions. Now, sometimes, yes, I'm always grateful for my family, my dog, my my home, my roof, the, the typical things we're, we're grateful for. But when you do it every day and you have to find three, you start getting down to some of that real nitty gritty gratitude and, and uh, uh, being in, in grateful for things. And I, the other day I was grateful for the blood pumping through my brain. I mean, my body. I was grateful for my eyelashes that catch things from going in my eye. And you find yourself going into those little things that you never stop and think about. But I'm grateful for that as well. I'm grateful for a heart that pumps beautifully every single day. I'm grateful for the grass I got to step on and you know pick up my dog poop on, like su- silly things like that. Yeah. But it absolutely makes you, because in your mind, you start thinking that you wake up that way. And when I wake up with it, with that intention of gratitude, I set myself up for that for the day. But if I wake up and start in a pissy mood, thinking about all the things I have to do, I'm setting myself up in with an intention of a crappy day. And I, I know that I can set myself up for a wonderful day ahead of me, no matter what happens, if I choose to do that right out of the gate. Interesting. I like it. I've, I've, that's one of the things that I've, I haven't been able to master the, the gratitude practice yet. 
uh, it's an interesting thing. And, and that does make it very, very difficult. Uh, the increasing level of difficulty as you go on, if you can't duplicate them, uh, I've heard of that practice before and I've, I've experimented with a little bit and yes, uh -huh. it's, it's difficult to practice to master. In the uh, beginning, about, uh, it's easy, right? In the beginning, well, you're yeah. like, Oh, I'm grateful for my home, my dog and my parents. Okay. And the, but when 30 days later, 60 days later, when you're 180 gratitudes, it's very tough. Let's take a quick break from the conversation. Are you interested in running a podcast like this? Then check out our done for you service and grab a 15 minute podcast brainstorm call. We'll talk through your podcast idea and the business behind it. So you'll know exactly how a podcast can attract ideal clients and bring you five to 10 X return. Schedule your call today at pursuingresults.com. And now let's jump back into the conversation. All right. How about for the year? Do you set intentions for the year? I, the only intention I set for the year is I pick a word every year and I try to live with that. And actually the last three years, it's been intention that everything really? I do, every person I meet, I have an intention to make that person feel like they're the only person in the room or I'm the only, they're the only person that is around me and I'm giving them their full attention as well as my intention. And even when I'm, food shopping, I smile at strangers. And it isn't because it's something I told myself I had to do. It's this force inside of me that I get a kick out of it. I really do. Making eye contact with someone, even with my mask on, you can tell when someone's looking at you and smiling at you. And it was over the last two years, year, yeah, almost two years, you can tell when somebody's smiling behind their mask. And that it makes me almost to come to tears right now because we lost that. We really lost that. And I was not going to give up that habit. Yeah. It's yeah. You did have to make a conscious effort to make yes. sure you were smiling with your eyes. Um, let me ask you this. Are you a natural introvert or extrovert? I'm a little bit in between. I used to say I was a full extrovert until I learned of the word ambivert. Yeah. And I'd have to say I am more of an ambivert. I, I have a lot of introvert qualities. I like solitude. I like quiet. I like introspection. I like going within, but I also then like to be around people, mm. but I can't do, I can't do one or the other too much. There's a balance for me. And I know I, yeah. my body tells me it's time for you to just completely unwind and pull away from people. And when it's time where I really, I got to, I can't work out at home. I need to go to the gym. <laughs> I can actually feel the distinction there. Sometimes I go, nope, today's the day I'm going to work out from home and other days where I need to go see other human beings. So I, it, it's definitely a balance for me. Yeah. And it goes back to that in that inner wisdom, the intuition piece, just following that. The reason I yes. ask is that, um, so I found for myself, which I tend to be, I've was super introverted, then became an extroverted introvert. So I'm now in the middle again uh, after years of work and all this stuff. And I've noticed that I have to consciously set that intention when I go out into the world a lot of times because I'm so usually in my head thinking about the business, thinking sure. about stuff or whatever, that I have to set that intention to leave a positive impression on people. So it's interesting that you, even you, on the more natural extroverted end, have to do some of those same things. Because I feel like that that's definitely something that introverts need to be aware of is as we move through the world, if we don't set that intention, we can, it's easier for introverts to come across as very closed off and guarded when we actually don't mean to be that way. We don't, we're not actually not guarded in that way, but we convey, we convey that we project that because we don't set that intention to make the world a better place when we go that's out right. into it. Yeah, And the pandemic helped me. I used to think something was wrong with me when I wanted to completely isolate. I shouldn't say completely isolate or isolate or, or pull back. 
I thought that because no one ever told me I had the option to do one or the other. I didn't always have to be an extrovert, even in my own home by myself. (laughs) And until I started realizing, oh, it's my body's way of saying this is what I need. Just listen to me. Surrender and love this moment instead of trying to fight it and find something to do because I thought something was wrong with me. When in fact, there was absolutely nothing wrong. There was something right with me. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting thing. I talk about it a lot in, in other contexts, the the dichotomy, the introvert, extrovert stuff, because it's, it's just super fascinating to me, especially for those of us that are in like the coaching, consulting, speakery, author type world. It's, yeah. it's, it's really shocking how many people are more on the introverted side in what people think of as a very extroverted, people-driven business. And yeah, you just have to realize there is nothing wrong with pulling back and recharging alone. Right. And it, yeah, it's I think it's good for people to know that... Um, you don't have to lock yourself into one or the other, you know, however you can follow that inner intuition mm-hmm. and decide, okay, today is my day. I'm going to, I'm going to be out. I'm going to be around with people. And then maybe, you know, a couple of days from now, I'll just pull away and I'll spend some time alone and That's they're right. all okay. So um, if you could, if you could put the book, the power of intention into somebody's hand, probably a younger person right now, what do you hope that they would take away from it? What's like, if they could incorporate just maybe one one thing from the book that would get into their daily life or just kind of into their brain and really soak in, what's the one thing you would hope people would take away? Uh, Oh gosh. Um, I would say fire your brain and hire your heart and really listen to what it's saying. Forget those stupid negative thoughts that are running through your head or the, the self-doubt and all that stuff that we we all have in our heads. Fire that language, fire that, or put it on pause and go into your heart and ask your heart what you what it really wants because that's where it knows. The head doesn't know crap. Your heart knows everything. So intentionally get out of your head and move into more of your body and get some answers from there. I love it. All right. So let's shift gears. I want to tell people where they can go to connect with you. And then I want to ask you just a question, whether it's more about your wheelhouse and what you teach people and how you got started doing that. So what's the best place to go and connect? Okay. They can go to my website at lizwendling.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. And all of my books are on Amazon. Just type in my name and they'll all come up. <laughs> Love it. All right. That's very easy. And you have a super unique name, which I'm wildly jealous of because nobody can find Matt Johnson, anything. Amazon can't even figure out that I only wrote one book and I only have like five others. Okay. So, uh, so when you first got in, like when, take me back a little bit to when you first started, uh, started teaching attorneys how to get better at sales, what was their big initial hang up that you were able to like help them overcome? It's the whole, I don't sell. I, I went to law school. I don't sell. And that, because that's what attorneys were saying for the last 30 something years. We don't sell. We educate. We don't sell. We just show up and, and tell people how we can help them. Well, you know what? You can hang your hat on that. I finally, that's why I wrote two books for attorneys, but I finally came out and said, you can hang your hat on the crap that no longer works. You can hang your hat on that old school status quo garbage that you're telling yourself, or you can understand how to communicate with someone who needs your services. Most people who need an attorney, it's usually not a good situation, whether it's bankruptcy, divorce, personal injury. If you can figure out how to way to speak to those people in such a way that you make them feel like they're the only person you're going to talk to all day and they're the most important person that that they will know that day, if you know how to do that to someone, 
that is where how you build your business. It's not about selling for the sake of selling anybody that walks into your door. It's about how do you move someone who's interested and need of your services to make them see you as the person they want to give their money to. And it. it was it was dismantling their outdated mindset around what selling was. They were hanging their hat on the 1980s and 90s style of selling. And they have to realize the world changed and they've got to change with it. And if they don't change, they're going to be really hungry professionals, whether it's an attorney or even a financial planner. You're going to be really hungry if you don't put yourself out there. If you don't sell, somebody else is going to. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what makes people fundamentally uncomfortable a lot of times is yes. the idea that getting better at selling means getting better at getting people to do something they wouldn't do that isn't in their best interest. I remember yes. being on a mastermind call and one of the other people bragging about how if they, what was it? If they sold shoes, they'd be the ones that sh that sold the $2,000 collector edition, whatever, to everybody that walked in the door. I'm like, and I'm just thinking, and that's exactly why I don't like you. Uh, yeah. it's, you know, like it just, it just doesn't resonate. And that, that's so many people think that's what sales is, is building yeah. the skills to make somebody do something that isn't in their best interest as, a, as if it's all about you. And I love that approach of making it about the other person and making them feel like they're the only person that feel encountered. That, that's really where it's at. If you can make yeah. someone feel like they are being heard and listened to and understood, and then you can translate your value and articulate the value that you can provide in a conversation that feels so genuine, so open and so authentic, that's a sales conversation. Yeah. And you could do it the other way, but you're going to hear, I need to think about it. I don't have the money and call me in a few weeks, a hell of a lot more than you should. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we've all, we're all intimately familiar with all of those disturbing oh, yeah. oh, phrases yeah. that keep us up at night. And the crazy thing is, is the person who is doing the selling is the one creating that. You are creating the obstacle. You're putting that roadblock in the way by the way you're connecting with people. So that's where intention comes in. When you can connect with people with that deep intention and walk into a conversation, a sales conversation with someone with the intention of A, finding out what they need. And if I'm the right person, I'll have the intention of being able to explain to them how I can help them. Yeah, and it. if not, we wish each other luck. <laughs> Bless and release. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, sorry. So I came out of this podcast with two assignments. Uh, I need to re revisit my gratitude practice because I like I like that. Uh, and then I, I love the idea of coming into the workday and just thinking about and setting the intention to make every person on my calendar feel like they're the only person I'm going to talk to that day. That's something easily doable, even for somebody with a busy back-to-back -back schedule. So I love both of those things. So, all right. So those are my, those are my assignments. Those are my uh, takeaways from, uh, from our conversation. I hope people get into your world. It's lizwendling.com or you can get your books on Amazon. So I hope people get connected up with you. And it was, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Same here, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other entrepreneurs and experts. Every time you share the show, you're putting life-changing ideas into someone's life. Now, to get the micro-famous field report that helps you turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, go to microfamous.substack.com and enter your email to access it for free. That's where you get all my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, everything goes into the micro-famous field report. So go to Substack, sign up for that today so you get that, and stay tuned for the next episode of One Book That Changed My Life. We'll see you there.